Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to the Epistle of Titus. The Epistle of Titus. There is no mission more important than the Great Commission. Jesus Christ left his church with a mission to preach the gospel to every creature, to make disciples of all nations, and to behold, to focus on Him until He comes. Because He will be with us even until the end of the age. We've been given the greatest mission given to men in the history of mankind, but we have also been given some biblical models for how that great commission can be accomplished, for how we can live out the great commission. And one of those models for us is found in these three chapters of the epistle of Titus. Titus was a Greek minister who worked closely with the Apostle Paul. He's only mentioned 12 times in Scripture, which may sound like a lot, but eight of those instances are found in one book, not his own, but in the book of 2 Corinthians, where we really get an insight into his resume as the Apostle Paul describes him by some enviable titles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul calls him his brother, In chapter 7, Paul says that Titus was a man who comforted Paul with his joy. So he was a joyful man, a man who infected others with joy. In chapter 6, we're told that he, Titus, was a man entrusted by Paul to, quote, finish the work that Paul started. So he was a closer for you baseball fans. He was someone who got the job finished. And why was he Paul's closer? Because in chapter 8, we're also told that he had a heartfelt care for the Corinthian church. And for this reason, in chapter 8, Paul says that he was, quote, Paul's partner and fellow helper. Can you imagine someone of the gravitas and the importance in ministry and in church history as the Apostle Paul? For Paul not to just call you brother, but partner in the work. Paul said that he was a man who, quote, walked in the same spirit, in the same steps as he did, as Paul himself. And here in Titus chapter one, verse four, Paul calls him my own son after the common faith. Now, what that indicates to us is at the very least, Titus was a man personally discipled by Paul. It may also indicate that Paul was the man who led him to Christ. We don't know that for certain. We do know that Paul 
discipled him as a son after the common faith. But what's also interesting, and, and again, this is a, an argument from silence, and so we can't be dogmatic, but it's possible that Paul may not have even connected with Titus until after he was released from house arrest at the end of the book of Acts. In Acts 28, we find Paul still under house arrest, and there is no mention of this man in the entire book of Acts. And so some have surmised that maybe that's because Titus had not yet become a believer, or maybe that's because Titus simply had not yet connected with the Apostle Paul. But in this short letter, one of what we call the pastoral epistles, we find Titus on mission, on a special assignment in a very difficult mission field called the island of Crete. And we'll look more at, at that um, environment that he was in, Lord willing, in, in the weeks ahead. But tonight I just want to look at the first four verses of this incredible epistle. And I want us to consider three things. Advancing the faith, proclaiming the truth, and inspiring godliness. Listen to what Paul says here in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, let's stop there for a moment and let's just quickly consider the messenger who is the one the Holy Spirit has anointed to deliver this message to Titus and to us. Paul says that I am first and foremost a servant of God, a bond slave of God. This morning I mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 4 where Paul says that we are just servants. We're just bond slaves. We're just stewards. And what is required of a steward is that he be found faithful. Paul said, I want you to think of me not as some hierarchy above you, but as a servant of God. My importance, my significance is not in my title and not who I am and what I can accomplish, but rather in who I serve. And your value is not in who you are or even how you serve, but in who you serve. Because what a greater title can there be than servant of the Most High God, than bond slave of the Most High God? But also, Paul is more than that. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, in saying that, Paul is reminding Titus and reminding us that Paul's authority does not come from Paul. But Paul does exercise an authority over the church, not because of his great knowledge, although he was one of the most brilliant men who ever lived, but because of his anointing and because of the calling that God had placed on his life. Now, we find Paul's testimony repeatedly in the book of Acts. I just want to look 
briefly at Acts chapter 26, where Paul recounts again his Damascus Road encounter with Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 13, as he's standing before Festus, whereupon as I went to Damascus, verse 12, with authority and uh, commission from the chief priest, verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun. In other words, the sun was shining, but all of a sudden I saw something above the sun that was even brighter than the sun. And then all of a sudden it wasn't just shining above the sun, it was shining all around me and around them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, this light knocked all of us on our keisters. I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Shaul, Shaul, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks or against the goads. Verse 15, and I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and but you haven't seen anything yet, Paul, because and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee. And here's why Paul was sent to us to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. Do you understand that the world apart from Jesus Christ is under the power of Satan? Satan is not waiting until the tribulation to get control of the world. He has control of the world. He is the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4.4. He exercises great authority. The difference will be that in the tribulation, God is going to let him off of his leash and he's going to give him more free reign than he is able to exercise now. But we see it in the temptation of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, Satan takes Jesus up to a high mountain and with his supernatural power, shows him in that moment all of the kingdoms of the world and says, Jesus, I will give this to you because their glory and their power has been given to me and I can give it to whoever I want. And Jesus didn't say, liar, liar, pants on fire. That's not what he said. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. He said, no deal. He didn't say that that's not a legitimate offer. He says, I reject that offer. I'm going to go where my father sends me. I'm going to do what my father sends me to do. But Paul said, I have a message that will bring you out of darkness into light. And I have a message that will free you from the power of Satan unto God. That they may receive, notice, forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Jesus said to Paul, here's your message. You can be forgiven of all your sins if you will place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In His death for sin, in His resurrection for eternal life. If you'll admit you're a sinner who needs forgiveness and needs a Savior and there's only one that God provided and you trust in Him, you admit that you need Him as Savior and you call upon Him, you are saved by faith, not by your works, but by my grace received by faith. And that's the message that Paul has and it's a commission that he received directly from Jesus Christ, he speaks to us tonight as an apostle 
of Jesus Christ. And here's the mission that Titus has. And here's the mission that you have and that I have if you are a child of God. Notice that his apostleship is, verse 1, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. Paul said, I'm going to write to you about three things, Titus. And by the way, this is the theme of the book. This is the threefold theme of the book of Titus. Paul's ministry, which needed to be Titus's ministry, which needs to be our ministry, is this. God has called us to advance the faith by proclaiming the truth and in so doing, inspiring godliness. That's what this is all about. We are here tonight to preach the gospel to every creature. We're here to make disciples of all nations, and we're here to focus on him and live in the awareness of his presence, to live in the awareness of our accountability to him. This is the mission, and that's what this letter is all about. Now, the order here is critical because only those who are in the faith have what Paul says here, the acknowledging. The acknowledging here is, the the Greek word means an experiential knowledge. Only those who are truly in the faith have an experiential knowledge of God and are able, because they have been reborn and because they've been born again, to understand the truth that God has revealed. Paul told the Corinthians, the natural man receiveth not the things of God. Neither can he receive them because they're spiritually discerned. So we come to Christ by faith and then we grow in our knowledge and understanding of Christ by the truth of his word. And then the point of that is not so that we fill our head with knowledge, as Paul tells the Corinthians, knowledge puffs up. It's not so that we can know more than than somebody else or even more than we knew yesterday or, or last year. It's so that we can put those things into practice because as Jesus said in my Sunday morning Bible study class, by the way, has heard this frequently over the last number of months. Jesus said, if you hear my words and you put them into practice, you are building your house on the rock and the rains are coming and the storms of life are coming. And if your house is built on the rock, when the storm runs through, it will stand. But if you hear my words and you go, boy, that's good information, Jesus, and you don't put them into practice, here's what you're doing. You're building your house in the flood zone. And the rains are coming and the storms of life are coming. And if your house is not built on the rock, doesn't matter how pretty it is, doesn't how much it costs you, it's going to be wiped out. I remember walking in New Jersey after a hurricane hit, and uh, we went on a missions, uh, uh, missions trip there to do some, uh, some work, some cleanup, and, and some light repairs. And, of course, uh, my uh, repair skills uh, ended me in the medical uh, trailer because I <laughs> cut my finger trying to nail the uh, drywall. And, uh, but anyways, it was, a, it was a good trip. But it was, it was amazing. It was like it was unreal to see the houses, that beautiful houses 
uh, you know, beach houses, probably multi uh, hundreds of thousands, maybe million dollar houses, and to see them as shells, to see them collapsing because of the, I, I mean, nothing in them anymore because the water had washed it all out. And just to see that Jesus said, you're building your life in a flood zone if you don't apply the truth. So the order of this is significant. It's significant. We need to know what the truth is by having faith, but we need to then put it into practice. Now, I, I, I stress that because I've heard this book taught before and the emphasis was all on the godliness, all on being good and doing good. And all of that is the goal. Faith expressing itself through love. Paul said to Galatians, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. But you can't just jump to the love. You can't just jump to the godliness and skip over the truth of God's word. Otherwise, you won't know what godliness is. You know, you won't know what it looks like. And so we have to we have to do things in the biblical order. Now, before we go any further into this book and talk about the faith and the truth put into practice in godliness, we have to just spend just a moment reviewing some things that we've talked about in the for, before, but I understand sometimes we, we all need reminded, myself included, and then sometimes uh, not everyone is here for every message, of course, and so there are things that we just need to review. And so I, I want to remind you, let's define what the faith is. What is the faith? Because the faith is a theological term. It doesn't just mean my faith. It doesn't just mean your faith. It's not talking about personal faith. When you see these two words in the New Testament, the faith, it's talking about the system of teaching and preserving and applying the truths of Scripture, specifically regarding our common salvation, as Jude describes it in, in the shorter epistle of Jude. The faith is the system. The faith, Peter calls it the way of truth. Paul calls it in Philippians 1.27, the faith of the gospel. Philippians 1.5, the faith is the public movement, not personal possession of faith. And this is why Paul said in uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4 that in the latter days, some will depart from the faith. They'll depart from the faith. They come to church. Maybe they were born into a church family, but they never really made it a, a personal decision. They never really came to a personal saving faith. And so they grew up knowing all the right answers, and they grew up knowing what you do in church and when to stand and when to sit down and, and all of that. But it never became real for them. And so they eventually walk away. They depart from the faith. It's a public movement. It's a public system of preaching the gospel. And again, the gospel is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians 2, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. So even in those three verses in Ephesians 2, we see again the faith, 
the truth, and then the life of godliness and obedience. So that's what the faith is. When we talk about the faith of the elect, we're talking about the teaching of what the gospel is publicly in the church. That's why Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to see whether ye be in the faith. Test yourselves. Make sure that you really believe this. Oh, yeah, you're coming to church, but do you really possess the faith that is being preached by the faith? Examine yourself to see whether ye be in the faith. Test yourselves. Identifying now God's elect. Now, I spent um, a number of weeks back in, I think it was May and maybe June of uh, 2021, when we started the book of Ephesians, and then we, we took very quickly, some of you may remember, um, we took a um, detour very quickly from the book of Ephesians into the book of Romans. And I spent a number of weeks talking about what is biblical election. I'm just going to give you the Reader's Digest version of that tonight. If you want to dive more into that, um, those podcasts are available online. If you look at, uh, go back to, to May of 2021 and look at the Ephesians chapter 1 and the Romans um, 8, 9, I think we were in 8, 9, and 10, or 9, 10, 11. Um, we were in um, uh, that topic for a number of weeks um, in uh, focus and then also referring back to it, but Here's what you need to remember. The word elect simply means to choose. Now, if I said, Elmer, you've been chosen, what's the first thing Elmer should say? For what? For what? You've been chosen for what? You get those emails every day, right? You've won. Oh, sure I have, right? What bill have I won? Right? There's always a catch. Chosen for what? Well, that's de determined by the context. And what we find, and, and again, I did, the, I did the, um, the footwork on this a year and a half ago. I'm not going to do that all again tonight. But when you go, if you just do a word search for elect in the Bible, you'll find, if you look at the context, every time it's, using, it's used, it is not chosen for salvation. It is always chosen for service. We are chosen not for salvation. God is not up in heaven going, you, you, you are on my team and everybody else, I'm sending you to hell. You know, we, we just a few weeks ago, we were in Revelation chapter two and we looked at the church of Thyatira, which had a woman teacher named Jezebel who was teaching in that church. And God says, I have given her time to repent, but she won't repent. And so I'm going to judge. Now, are we to believe that God gave her time to repent, but didn't give her the ability? I'm going to give you time to repent while I know that you can't because I'm just putting on a big show for everybody. No. Jezebel had the opportunity to repent. She, is she was responsible because she was response-able to repent. The gospel is for everyone. Election does not mean God chooses some for salvation and others don't get to be saved. It means that when we are saved... We are chosen. You want to be chosen by God? Come to Him by faith in Jesus Christ. Come to the Father through the Son. And you are chosen. That's what Ephesians 1 says. We're not chosen to be in Christ, but in Christ we are chosen. 
If you are in Christ tonight, you are chosen by God. Chosen for what? Chosen for service. Chosen to serve the King of Kings. Chosen to serve. I mean, can you imagine? I remember um, back when I was big into football and big into um, uh, fantasy football. Uh, years ago when I was in Kentucky, youth pastor in Kentucky, one of my best friends had, uh, I think it was his cousin. I think it was his cousin, maybe a second cousin, but I think it was his first cousin who worked with Peyton Manning. He was his personal assistant. And sometimes he would get, his cousin would get stuff and he'd send it to him that was from Peyton Manning, like autographed by Peyton Manning. And back then when I really liked Peyton, I'm not a fan of Peyton Manning anymore because I found out more about him, but um, Back when I was a big fan of Peyton Manning, I thought that, man, can you imagine how cool it would be to work for somebody like that? Do you understand you work for the King of Kings? Do you understand that you, you have a, a, a greater privilege than knowing some famous athlete who's famous for throwing a ball or bouncing a ball or hitting a ball? You are a servant of God. You are elect, chosen by God. Chosen for what? Chosen for service. Jesus in Isaiah is called the elect one. Chosen for what? Salvation? No, he's the Savior. Chosen to serve. Israel is the elect nation. Does that mean all of Israel is saved? No, it means all of Israel is called to serve. The angels in 1 Timothy are called the elect angels. Chosen for salvation? No, Jesus didn't die for the angels. Chosen for service. We are chosen for service. Now, let's move on to verse 2. Because we need to get through at least two verses tonight if we uh, get any farther. And let me talk to you just for a moment about the morale for the mission. The morale for the mission. This is a difficult mission we've been given. It's important, but it's challenging. Jesus said, don't be surprised. Marvel not if the world hate you. In this world, you will have trouble. I'm not sending you on an easy mission, church. I'm sending you as sheep among the wolves. So you better be wise as serpents. You better be harmless as doves. So how do I deal with the pain of persecution and we've experienced very little compared to the persecuted church around the world although that is starting to change but Paul gives us three morale boosts here number one the gift of God the morale for the mission is the hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began see I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me because I have eternal life I have, eter I have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life in Christ. I'm not working for it. I'm not hanging on to it. I have it. I don't like the term eternal security, even though I believe in eternal security. Because we don't find that term, number one, in the Bible. And number two, we find a better term. Eternal life. If you have eternal life, that means you can't die again. Not physically, of course, but spiritually, you cannot die. You're, you're immortal spiritually in your relationship with God. We have eternal life. Number two, the character of God is our morale boost. Because God cannot lie. That means all the promises that God makes, he keeps. That means if I know what the promises of God are, I'm going to be able to live the Christian life and live the godly life. That's what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 his divine power has given us all things pertaining to to life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us 
by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises that through them you might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by sinful desires. Peter says the exact same thing. If you're in the faith and you grow as a believer in your knowledge of God and you know the promises of God, you're going to live the godly life. It's the same formula, just said slightly differently by the Apostle Peter. God cannot lie. Literally, um, Kenneth Wiest, who's a Greek scholar, said that literally the term that Paul uses here is the unliable God. Not unliable, like you can't sue him, although you can't sue him, he's, not, he's unliable too. But the unliable God. He cannot lie. The character of God, all of his promises are true. So if I focus on his promises and I remember that, I'm a, that I have eternal life in him, I will have the morale for the mission. And number three, it's the plan of God. It's the plan of God. God planned to offer election to everyone in Christ before time began. The cross is not plan B. It's not plan B. God knew that Adam was going to sin before he ever breathed life into him. And he did it anyways, but he had a plan already in place. That in the fullness of time, Galatians says, God would send forth his son, born of a, of a virgin, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law and free us all if we will place our faith and trust in him. That's the plan. That's been the plan. That's the only plan because it's the only one we need. And so we have this plan of God that secures our morale if we'll focus on his plan. Now what's... What's the mean of the mission? Verse 3, the means of the mission, Paul says, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. We'll talk more about this as we get farther into this epistle, but our saving God has invested saving power in the preaching of his word. Because it's in the preaching of his word through which he manifests his truth to his children. The foolishness, Paul calls it elsewhere, the foolishness of preaching. Now, one of the reasons that we are in the state that we are in in the church today is because we will not endure sound doctrine. We have itching ears. And so, as Paul prophesied, we see churches all around heaping up teachers who will just scratch the itch Tell me what I want to hear, preacher. Make me, send me home happy and feeling good. And I hope that you are feeling good about Jesus when you leave here. But I don't always leave church myself feeling good about myself. Because God's word is convicting. And God's word can be like a hammer. Is not my word like a hammer, saith the Lord? Jeremiah said, I tried to quit the ministry. But his word was in my heart like a fire. Consuming me and I had to get it out because it was going to burn me up inside if I didn't preach God's word. It's the preaching of God's word. It does, it's not the way that makes the most sense. I, I, I told you before about the the 
uh, podcast pastor that I used to get his newsletter. And then he sent out a newsletter saying how all of us preachers needed to shorten our messages down to 15 and 20 minute messages like like TED Talks. Guys, this is a new age and y'all need to learn how to do little 15 minute, 20 minute pep talks every Sunday. Uh, Unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. Because it's the word of God that discerns the difference between the soul and spirit, the thoughts and the intents of our heart. It's a sword that convicts us that and it's the conviction. Hebrews four says that is what changes us. It's the instruction. It's it's the lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Why would you send people out into a dark world and give them a flashlight with a 30 second battery? You bought those before, right? Those flashlights, they work for a day. It was so cheap on Amazon. I got a pack of four of them dropped at one time and now it's come on work. That's what a that's what a a steady dose of, of little sermonettes will get you. This is the darkness that we are entering into on this mission. And Paul said it's the foolishness of preaching. It doesn't make the most sense that somebody standing up here for 40 minutes telling you that 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 would be the best way to do it. Wouldn't it make more sense if we all sat around and talked about what we think about the Bible? And and I like what Dr. Kroll calls that. He said a lot of times those kind of discussion groups turn into shared ignorance. Here's what I think it means. Well, here's what I think it means. Well, here's what I think it means. What does it mean? What does it mean? And somebody needs to be able to discern that and declare that whether it's a pastor or it's a it's a, a, a small group teacher or it's a small group leader who is teaching God's word in another format or our Sunday morning Bible study, whatever. We are preaching the word of God that has the power. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes to the Jew first. And also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God which is revealed, which is a righteousness by faith. From faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. Romans chapter 1. So the gospel has the supernatural power even to speak to those who are not yet saved and to say to the dead, the spiritually dead, if you will believe, you can become alive. If you will believe, you can receive life. If you will believe, you can be born again. It's that powerful it doesn't look like the best way to do it but God says this is the means that I have chosen he likes to take the foolish things of this world to shame the wise and that's so that that's what I get to to do every every time I'm in the pulpit take the foolish way of of doing things from the world's standpoint but God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise Now, let me just say very quickly, the man on the mission, verse four to Titus, which, by the way, the name Titus means title of honor, title of honor. This man's uh, parents were probably not believers. He has a a very Greek name, but he is well, he was well named because he is an honorable man. Mine own son after the common faith. This is the man for the mission. He is entrusted with an important task. We'll, We'll look more at that task as we get farther into this letter. But this letter is going to reveal to us what must be important in every church. The preaching of the faith, the equipping of the elect, those who respond by faith to the gospel with the truth. We equip the elect with the truth 
in order to uh, then enable them to, with the truth, live out a godly life. This is what Jesus called making disciples in Matthew 28. The term discipleship is part of the Great Commission, but it was given in a Jewish context in Matthew. The Gentiles didn't have that idea of discipleship, and so it's, it's the same thing, but it's just described to us differently because it was a different culture that Paul was writing to in the epistles. So let me give you, as we close here, the might for the mission. The might for the mission is in verse 4. Paul says, Timothy, I'm praying three things for you. The common Greek greeting was grace to you, charis, grace. The common Hebrew greeting was shalom or peace. And so Paul would often say mercy, or Paul would, excuse me, often say grace and peace to you, combining the Greek and the Hebrew. But here he adds the term mercy. So Paul says, here's what you need to grow in, Titus. Here's what you're going to need to accomplish the mission. And if you want to be on mission for Jesus in whatever area, here's the three things that you need to grow in. You have them. You have them if you're a child of God, but you need to experience them more and more every day. The first thing is grace. Grace is charis. Charis is divine favor on your life. This is not just saving grace. That's, that's what you need to get saved. But why does a Christian need grace? Because it's serving grace. The grace to serve. The favor of God on your life to serve Him. God's hand of favor on the work of your hands. Peter says, 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The second thing here is what he adds uh, in the best manuscripts, may I add, um, some of you may have a translation that, that has subtracted the word mercy, but it is in the what I believe are the best manuscripts. Mercy is compassion. Um, elios, it means kindness. This is from Strong's. Kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted, joined with a desire to relieve them. Mercy in Scripture is much bigger than not giving someone what they deserve. That's what we, we've, we've reduced mercy down to. Well, they deserve this, but I'm not going to give it to them, so that's mercy. No, 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 no. Biblical mercy is much bigger than that. It is strength flowing to the weak. I'm financially strong, and I help those who are financially weak. I'm emotionally strong. I help someone when they're emotionally weak. I'm spiritually strong because I, of this understanding that God has given me in this particular issue, and I... Give that to someone who has a, has a need in that area. I am giving mercy. I am sharing my strength with someone who needs strength in that moment. That is mercy. And we need the mercy from God because all of us are weak. All of us are weak in our flesh. But Paul says when I'm weak, he's strong. So we need to grow. Our, it's not about getting stronger in our own strength. It's about getting stronger in his strength. Grace, mercy, and then lastly, peace. Peace, Irene or Irene, I, I, I don't know how to pronounce the Greek. I don't know even why I try. But um, maybe to give you a little entertainment as I, as I fumble along. Peace in Greek means wholeness. Wholeness. I'm at peace in my heart 
when I'm not conflicted in my heart. But when I'm worried or when I'm concerned about a person or when I'm grieved about a situation, I'm broken on the inside and I don't have peace. I'm not whole. But when I have peace on the inside, I have wholeness. I, ha I, I have completeness in who I am and who God created me to be. I heard a, 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 just on Instagram, uh, I think it was yesterday, just kind of came across it accidentally. And somebody saying, you know, the amazing thing about Jesus that many people miss is that Jesus offers peace. Celebrities don't offer peace. They, the world doesn't offer peace. It offers happiness. Here's how you can be happy. But this, this guy said, when we make happiness the goal, we walk over people to get our happiness. This is what's going to make me happy. Well, yeah, but it's not, it's not going to make them happy. It's going to hurt them. I don't care. I want to be happy. But Jesus offers peace. He offers wholeness on the inside and in all of our life. Peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with others. And then this is from the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. The, the Spirit is the one ministering these gifts from the Father and Son to the believer's life, but He always drives our focus to the Father and to the Son. We're not going to have a typical um, time of invitation tonight. I've kept you a little longer than I had intended to, but uh, I will be up here after the service if you have a need. I'd be happy to talk with you, pray with you. Our deacons are available as well if you have someone you need to pray with. And so you will have an opportunity uh, after the service. But let me close in a word of prayer and then uh, we'll be dismissed tonight. God, thank you for this book of Titus. Thank you, God, for the, God, the awesome privilege of serving you in the greatest mission you've ever given to any group of people in, in human history, the Great Commission. And we all have a different role to play in that commission, but God, we're all part of it as the church, as your body. We're all part of that commission. And so, God, as we study this book and the rest of Scripture, God, may we be more and more prepared to share the faith, to grow in our knowledge of the truth, and God, to live more and more the godliness that you have equipped us to live by your spirit, and through the work of your son. We love you, we thank you, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Lord willing. We'll see you at our business meeting on Wednesday night. You are dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301 724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. Youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.